0: Get a free copy of Chantel Ray's Five Alive contract, the form that she has her agents sign to get a guaranteed $75,000 salary if they don't make it in commissions. A very controversial plan that's happening in her market today. You can get a free copy. Just text contract to 444-999 or go to hybendigital.com backslash contract. That's hybendigital.com backslash contract or just text contract to 444-999. All right, Rockstar Nation, it is time. And uh, hey, if this is not you, this will still be an interesting podcast. But if it is you, You definitely need to listen to this. Time for you to stop being a false prophet, right? Time for you to stop showing people houses, talking to people about why real estate is such a great game to get into, why real estate should be bought, but not owning massive amounts of real estate yourself. It's always been a pet peeve of mine that real estate agents would go out there and not own rental properties, right? And then even talk to people or worse, work with investors. The worst of the worst of the worst is an agent that Fizbows their damn house. But the second the worst would be an agent that sells a house to an investor and uh, doesn't own investment properties themselves. So I found a guy, Tyler Schaff, who focuses on how to get the best deal out there at, for a rental property as a real estate agent and we're going to talk about it uh, he has this five-step process that that he teaches in real estate offices and he talks about he's building a program on it and we're going to get a, a sneak peek at that today so tyler welcome to real estate rock
1: stars hey thanks pat i appreciate you having me on the show
0: so hey why don't you um give everybody a rundown tyler so they can get to know you better
1: so i was i started this back in year 2000 i uh I was raised, my mother was a realtor, one of those Century 21 gold coat back in the 70s selling real estate type thing. And so I've been in the game now about almost coming up on 18 years. Uh, started as a realtor. Went out and got my license. I had that shiny object syndrome back then. I was a lot younger, <laughs> a lot dumber. Thought that flipping houses was something I, I could do and it was natural that I was a realtor. It should be simple. Uh, so I went out and, and did that for a while, a couple of years. years really, really well. So I could say I was wildly successful and uh, I failed wildly also at the same time, but that's all part of the learning process. We, uh, from there, I well, became kind of an accidental landlord. You know, I was a guy that was buying houses and fixing them and flipping them. But back in my market in Florida in 2004, 2005, we were seeing appreciation levels at 25% annually. Well, simple math tells you that why would I sell it now when in a year I can sell it and get 25% more money which led me to, I just need to find good people to move into these things and, and keep them where they are now, mm-hmm. and then I'll sell them in a year, and off we go. That's exactly what we did. So that worked out great. I was able to exit the market. I sold off my portfolio before prior to the crash. I did very, very well on the front end. However, I discovered that my charm apparently has no impact on the IRS, and they wanted their money <laughs> uh, in the form of capital gains and whatnot. Uh, after the fact, so I paid a huge tax bill, which of course I would already lived the life of a rock star. Not necessarily had all that money uh, sitting in a bank account, just doing nothing. So that led to uh, the IRS's interest rates and uh, their penalties and these type of things. So needless to say, I learned my lesson in that regard, which maybe you know I, I everybody else was going on about the housing market crash, and, and here I am going well, it, it didn't crash on me. I crashed on myself and the taxes. I decided before I got back into it, I was going to learn a little bit more about how to responsibly and legally mitigate my taxes. And, and that's what I did. And that's how I got back into buy and hold investing.
0: Interesting. Okay. And, you know, we like people to come on the show to prove themselves. We always have, we always ask the agents that come on to disclose their net incomes and their ECI, as we like to call it, their ego commission incomes. And uh, tell us a little bit about you know, what your personal portfolio looks like.
1: We have started out small. In other words, our first property was simply a fourplex. And it's kind of cool. We <laughs> I bought that with not only no money down, but I actually walked out of closing with a check for credits because of security deposits and all that. And that property, in just a very short turnaround, that very first property since 2014 is now bringing in almost $6,000 a month net after expenses. Uh, by that one, what we did is we converted two of the units to vacation rentals. Uh, my wife and I live in one unit, and then we rent the other one long term. And from there, we've partnered up with other people and bought a bunch of properties up in Memphis, Tennessee. Whoa! And yeah, Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, there's some definite learning lessons there. Now you're doing
0: Airbnb that. out there?
1: Oh no, not in Memphis. <laughs> in Memphis, it's more like bulletproof vest than a helmet. <laughs>
0: So the ghetto properties.
1: Yeah, ghetto properties. So okay. we partnered up with some high net worth individuals that wanted to have somebody else basically do the work. And they wanted everything kept on the on the down low, so to speak. So they partnered up with us and we took down some apartment deals there in Tennessee. Kind of did our licks there. And then since then we moved back to Florida. Now we're, our primary focus at the moment is vacation rentals. It's hot. Uh, we can buy some of the buildings and turn them into them. The other ones, we'll master lease them and take them over that way.
0: So, so like you're buying multifamily now and using the multifamily instead of the traditional way of of renting out to somebody for a year. You're renting them out weekly or Airbnb on a on a multifamily.
1: Correct. For example, one of my units here in in Tarpon Springs, where I live in Florida, would normally rent for between nine hundred and a thousand a month. It would be market rent. Uh-huh. So we've made them very nice. we furnished them flat-screen TVs, cable internet, all that good stuff. What we found is that on Airbnb, on average, we can get anywhere between $100 to $125 a night for that very same apartment. Because I'm zoned commercial where the property is located, I have no issues with the city. No, There's no regulations against it. Now? Now, correct. But I did figure out that really what it comes down to is they want to make sure everybody's paying their tax they want their they want their they piece.
0: Want whatever their whatever their ho, quote unquote hotel taxes right
1: right which in the, in my area is 13% of every dollar i make goes to the state and local government which is fine because the money i make think about it, pat you know who else turns over 5000 dollars net profit on a four unit building
0: wait, 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 okay okay so let me let me slow this down so you said it it rented for, it would rent for 900 bucks a month mm-hmm and instead, you're renting it for 125 a night, which in the peak season would be what? three grand? Three grand. Three grand. So you tripled the rent. Correct. You, you put a little more money into it, furnished it, you know made it kind of like a hotel room. Quality, right. hotel room quality. And like how many units is that is that particular one?
1: That is, uh, it's a four-unit building, so each apartment is okay. two-bedroom, one bath.
0: Have you ever done this with, you know, something that with a lot of units, with a hundred units, with fifty units?
1: I have not, because that sounds a lot like a hotel, and that is not my skill set. <laughs> That's a little bigger. Um, well, what up
0: would the car. difference be, right? Let's think about this. What would the di- I wonder who's done this. What would the difference be between buying fifty houses and renting them out Airbnb, and buying an apartment building and renting it out Airbnb?
1: Well, the ability to convert, in other words the Airbnb model is all great and all that, but the problem is it's so new to the end. It's such a new industry. There's not a lot of good demographic data out there. You, It's very difficult to gauge what your vacancy is going to be or your occupancy rates are going to be.
0: Right. And it could be a risk too. Oh, because you think r- they could come in and, you know, and I know if some cities are doing this and some cities have done this, you know, as soon as somebody does that, of course, the the hotel people c- cry bloody murder and start throwing money at the politicians. To uh, change something, right? And there's a huge risk there. There's just a huge risk of, of them changing the rules, like they did in, um, say, Nashville, Tennessee, right, where they limited the amount of Airbnb licenses, and uh, Charleston, South Carolina, did the same thing. Um, exactly. Uh, so you run that's the me. risk, yeah. Yeah, there's your risk. I mean, and, that's and then, then me you me. have a whole bunch of flat screen TVs and a whole bunch of furniture and a whole bunch right. of. Yeah, you're back to the old model and your numbers don't work anymore, right? You, you might have overpaid because you thought you could make all this cash. So, yeah, so there's a huge risk. I understand that. So, okay, so let's talk about what we came here to talk about. Let's talk about how a real estate agent can start buying and cash flowing, which is the key word, rental properties. You know, actually making money. I think there's a big fear out there right now that, that the prices are so high that they're going to pay you know, a, a, a price for it and it won't cash flow or they've already looked into it in their market and it won't cash flow. They won't make money on it. So tell, teach us how to cash flow rental properties in today's market as a real estate agent. What's the first step?
1: First step is you've got to be good at mastering relationships with other agents. In other words, you got to play nice with the other kids in the sandbox. Mm, okay. Do because- tell. Here's the thing. Most multifamily properties, and I'm a multifamily guy, so I'm going to speak in multifamily terms. Uh, that's what I'm immersed in. The You look at a little duplex, for example. A duplex is not going to be listed by a commercial agent. It's too small. It doesn't excite them. They're not going to be bothered with it. It doesn't have seven figures in the price or a gas pump out front. Chances are they're not going to be bothered with it. So That leaves it really up to the residential agent. And We all know the residential agent coming out of school, they get limited, if any, training on investment or even how to calculate NOI, they have difficulty and it's not in something they do every day trying to figure out how to value a multifamily property. They're not well-trained. It's been my experience, at least in the Florida market, they're not well-trained on valuing multifamily property. So to me, I use that as an advantage. I leverage that. The fact that I have studied this where other people may be experts in, oh, let's say luxury real estate where that's not my expertise. What I will do is I find that the MLS and it's funny because a lot of the real estate educators say that there are no deals in the MLS for investors, no great deals. And as I've come out with my podcast and people have started listening taking notice, I've had a lot of people change that to say there's no great deals as advertised. And as agents, you know, we say, well, the price is too high, it'll never cash flow. Well, first of all, how did that price get there? Where did where did that price come from? So I find that by getting on the phone with the agent and having having them out for a cup of coffee, does this? It sounds a little cliche, but it it's, it works. I do this on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Have a conversation with the agent, the listing agent, and let's talk about how did we price this thing. And they're always it's always going to come down to well we pulled comps, and I've had them say well the gated community across the street and around the corner. I took two of those houses, subtracted for a pool, and I figured that's what the duplex is worth. It, nobody wants to hear that they're wrong. And that they made a mistake or that they don't know what they're doing. And unfortunately, as agents, sometimes that's one of a lot of agents use that. It's this posturing thing. You know, I'm smarter than you and, and I have bigger numbers than you and this whole posturing thing. I don't do that. I, I side up next to them and say, listen, let's, let's attack this together. Hmm. Here's the thing. I represent a pool of buyers that can, they can either buy it, I can buy it with them, or I can buy it on my own for this to work now. What I've found, and I've been doing this for a long time in the investment market, that's what I explained to them. And What I've found is that if we can sit down together as a team with the seller and we can tackle this thing, then we can, number one, get this sold quickly. Number two, you get your commission and really don't have to do hardly any work. Three, we solve the seller's problem. And okay. then I just listen. Okay. Usually, usually they're on board with that. Of in most cases there they're are not in
0: control yeah I mean
1: true there are most some cases where the agent has that scarcity mentality and they oh you can't talk to my customer my gosh you'll steal them
0: <laughs> so right so so the goal is you know if you find a place that you like the bottom line is try to try to arrange a meeting with the seller there with you and the agent and the seller
1: absolutely okay. now step second step is the mindset now for me most people think well I gotta go to the bank I gotta get pre-approved I gotta get pre-qualified I gotta go find cash whatever investors none of that I don't think about any piece of that. What I think about is I'm not allowed, my business model does not allow me to invest my own cash, period.
0: Hmm. Okay, my so your, your mindset going in is my business model does not allow me to invest my own cash. Okay, so we're all about meat and potatoes here on Real Estate Rockstars, and I want to get some specifics from you about how a real estate agent can do this. Now, I know that and, and, and unless this is one of your other steps, Let's talk about you know using the commission as a down payment. Is that one of the ways to do it?
1: It is, it absolutely is, and I don't I try not to take my commission in the form of a check at closing. I offer every single deal that I'm involved in for me to carry my commission back as a note recorded against the property. Now because-
0: and, and okay, right. And so as a note recorded against the property.
1: I but don't understand
0: account. that. What, what, what do you? Well,
1: I, I'm a cash flow guy, so for me, it's all about. I like predictable streams of income coming in every month. I could care less about the fifty thousand dollars commission check.
0: Okay. All right. Interesting. And now you're talking about a million. That's if you're buying a million dollar property. I want to talk. Well, let, let's say you're buying a hundred fifty thousand dollar property, and your commission's forty five hundred bucks, or four thousand, or three thousand, or whatever it is. Uh, wouldn't it make sense just to use that to to pay the buyer's closing costs? You could, but here's the thing, Pat.
1: You know. Sellers want different things. They sell their properties for different reasons. Sometimes offering them cash at the closing isn't necessarily going to solve their problem. Some people sell their properties because they're trying to retire and they want this monkey off their back. So in a case where I did a deal previously and maybe I have a a three or a four or $5,000 promissory note that I'm collecting payments on, I could now offer that note to them in lieu of a down payment. Mr. Seller, I know that you're trying to retire and would it be benefit to you if you received $300 a month For the next 10 years, which would be a, insert return amount here, figure, would that have benefit to you? And they'll usually look at you a little sideways and go, well, what do you mean? Well, if I give you cash now, and you think about the time value of money, everything goes up every year. The cost of everything, a bottle of water, it's a dollar this year, it's a dollar seven next year, right? By giving them a note that pays interest, I'm helping them offset inflation, number one. I'm giving them a predictable stream of income. I'm giving them something that nobody else is offering them. Everybody else is scrambling around. And then
0: you're just taking it off the price, basically.
1: Absolutely. Everybody feels that you need cash to buy real estate, and nothing could be farther from the truth. I know that's what the banks want, and that's what the title companies want. It's what we as agents want. But is it really what the seller wants?
0: Okay. Okay. So, but you're not... So walk me through this, because you're not paying the commission. They're paying the commission.
1: Right. It's a perfect example. Example number one is I've done another deal. Now I have a promissory note instead of the commission from my last deal. I would use that promissory note as my down payment. I would talk to the seller and negotiate seller financing terms, payments for equity, as I like to call it, because the word finance is an emotional word. So I talk to them about, would you consider payments for your equity? Because at the end of the day, when we're negotiating, really, we're negotiating for how much equity do they get to leave with. Right. I focus on free and clear properties. I don't try to negotiate terms on seller fine or on properties that already have existing debt, unless it's private debt.
0: Okay, First so thing. you're looking at houses. You're going in a tax record, and you're looking to see if there's uh, you know no note on it. There's no mortgage on it. Okay, that's correct. And those which, are the only houses you consider.
1: That's correct. Which the title companies are a great help with that too. If you're in a state that has title companies, they will pull those up for you.
0: Okay. So you go in, let's uh, use a real life example. The house is worth 150. There's no loan on it. You think it's worth a buck 30, right? You can get 1300 a month rent on it.
1: What do you do? For me, I need to find out why they're selling because how, why they're selling depends on what type of offer I'm going to write for them. First of all, some people need to get out in a minute. They need out today. They need the cash now. So that'll be one type of offer. Other people need the predictable stream of income. So for them, I might pitch them on some sort of seller financing type scenario. The bottom line is I can use the fact that I'm an agent. Here's what I found, Pat, is that a lot of people that I run across that own that are current landlords that are selling their properties, because remember, I'm targeting properties that are currently rental properties that are free and clear. They have more than one property. I can offer my services of being able to get them top dollar for their property as an agent to a pool of investors that I'm already working with. Because we're buying based on the the return on the income stream that's already present in the property. So I will say sell three of their duplexes in exchange for having the ability to buy one of them. Not charging them a fee necessarily on the three that I sold, but then asking for credits for the one I am buying. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Leveraging the service that I'm already proven that I'm good at. Getting them... If they need that cash, well, what else do we have that we can sell to get you that cash? Help me help you. Hmm. A lot of people think, well, I don't have time for that. Well, let me ask you this. When was the last time you bought a four-unit building at 200 and some odd thousand dollars not used one red cent of your own money? Yeah. I did it last Thursday.
0: Attention real estate agents who want to win more listings. Want to discover the secrets of how to create wealth? and freedom by embracing the listing life without the pain of getting rejected by sellers and losing listings to more experienced agents? If so, then join me on a very special free webinar event titled, How to Beat Experienced and Egotistical Listing Agents Without Commission Cutting and Overpricing. On this training, you'll discover the answers every real estate agent needs to know to instantly win more listings including the six most widely used scripts to get a seller to sign the listing paperwork the three success hacks to combat an agent with a huge track record of success and the four easiest statements that instantly get sellers to pay higher commissions these three things and so so much more so if you're serious about wanting to win more listings without getting rejected by sellers and losing listings to more experienced agents, register now for this special event that will show you exactly how to create wealth and freedom by embracing the listing life. Register now at hybendigital.com backslash listing or by texting the word listing to 444-999. That's listing to 444-999 and make sure to stick around for the huge game changing offer that you won't receive anywhere else that's listing to 444-999 or online at hybendigital.com backslash listing see you there So let's talk about uh, before we get on the third step. Let's talk about what sort of returns you look for on uh, these properties, right? So, like, what do you look for? Like, a, a lot of people talk about the one percent rule. If you buy it for a hundred thousand, you want to get a thousand a month rent. Some people use cash on cash, which is if you paid a hundred thousand cash and you wanted 15% cash on cash, you would get $15,000 cash flow from your $100,000. And of course, then other people use cap rate, which is simply the return that they get uh, yearly on the cash they put or whatever they paid, irregardless of whether there's a loan or not. The gross amount, if you paid 100000 and you gross 10000 that would be a 10 cap or you netted ten thousand before mortgage was taken out, or before uh, principal, I should say. After mortgage was taken out. So what um, uh, what do you
1: use? For me, I use a combination. I don't use cap rate. I don't believe cap rate is is makes sense on the smaller pieces, and mainly because it doesn't it doesn't allow for repairs. It doesn't allow for debt service. So if it doesn't if it can't nail those two birds for me, I'm looking at a false metric, in my opinion. Because I'm not paying cash. Cap rate is used to, to determine if a cash deal is a good deal. I'm never going to pay cash for a property, so I don't bother. The 1% rule, I believe, will result in a net loss at some point if you have even remotely medium interest rate financing. If you don't have stellar financing, 1% will get you in trouble. Uh, I use 1.5%. I'm conservative. I'm, I'm at the age now. I'm 46 years old. I, I can't make the same mistakes that I did when I was 20 and recover in the same regard financially. So I need to be focused more on the retirement years now. I'm around the corner from the retirement years. I'm not there yet, but I'm almost there. And uh, the retirement age, rather. But uh, that allows me to be conservative. So what that means is, it boils down to is gross rent, gross monthly rent divided by 1.5% tells me that my max strike price. That's the most I can pay all in, real estate commissions, rehab, the whole nine yards. So if I'm renting basically at $1,000 a month, that means the most I can pay is 66000 for that property. And a lot of people say, well, that'll never work. Well, I can show you example after example after example where those actually absolutely do work.
0: Now, are you finding that in Florida or do you have to go elsewhere?
1: Well, I find it in Florida. I find it in pretty much everywhere. I I talk to students and help people call in for my podcast from around the country. I've done it in Seattle. I've done it in in, uh, Los Angeles. I've done it in New York. It comes down to the ratio between the rent, similar to cap rate, but the rent, cap rate's based on NOI versus this is based on gross. But uh, it comes down to the ratio between the rent and the sales price. So if we have the ability to do something with the rent, in other words, we don't want to ever reward a landlord for doing a lousy job of managing a property. If that property should be renting for a thousand, is only renting for seven fifty, I shouldn't be compensating him as if it was renting for a thousand. That's back to mindset again. Mm-hmm. We have to compensate them according to the production of the property, what the property is doing now, what it does later after I invest fifty grand in it. it doesn't isn't even is immaterial at this point. Does not matter to us. We can't pay based on tomorrow. We can only pay based on today. Because I'm direct with the sellers, even though it's a listed property, and I'm there with the listing agent, and we're a united front to solve the seller's problem, we're wildly successful doing this. We do this for our, our real estate clients, and we do it for ourselves, and it, it works very, very well. And at the end of the day, everybody shakes hands, and we all walk away friends, because believe it or not, and I know the agent's listening to this, it's going to blow your mind, but not everybody needs or wants top dollar for their property. Sometimes people have compelling needs to sell their property that have nothing to do with the sales price. Yes, that's true.
0: Yeah, very true. Very true. Well, it's interesting. Okay, fascinating. Well, uh, what's the third step?
1: Third step is the process. It's it's keeping it simple. We go in asking for a good amount of the information up front, and I don't have to go look at properties before we make offers on them. We make offers based on the financials, what's provided to us, based on the fact, the information that's there that's factual. And then simply it's following the steps. We use a checklist. We go through that checklist, the due diligence checklist, and one thing after the other. Do we have this? Do we have that? Once we're under contract, similar to a home inspection, we go through a paperwork inspection making sure everything is the way it's supposed to be. It never is. But we will then use that as a negotiating chip to go back in and renegotiate if we need to to get the property priced lower to to meet our needs if we were on the fringe before.
0: Okay. Good stuff. Okay. What about fourth step? Probably the biggest
1: four-step is the people involved. Now, I'm one guy and I've subscribed. Kiyosaki says always be the dumbest person in the room and I definitely have that down pat. It's building the right team that has the right mindset to get things done. If you build that team that has a mindset that is not conducive to anything creative, you're never going to accomplish even step one. You're gonna, I've reached out and found institutional lenders that, that get investing that understand things like NOI and and rent projections and things like this I work with title companies that always do municipal lien searches and understand the nuances that inv- that involve rental property surrounding myself with that core group of people that core team when we bring somebody in from the outside whether it be a buyer or a seller it's kind of like you're a, you're a family it sounds cliche but it's it's reality we just make it happen we get it done so it's wildly swift I mean, it just it happens very very fast and people have actually told us that that these multifamily transactions that everybody feels are complex happen faster and smoother than any residential transaction they've ever been involved in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've had some, some experience with that myself. I, I remember, you know, when the market started crashing, I panicked and paid off all of my properties. It sounds funny now, but at the time it was like, oh my God, you know, let's buckle down and, and, and have everything cash. And, then as the market started improving, I wanted money to buy more stuff in like 2011 or so, 2012. and I went to a couple of banks to try to get you know loans on all these paid off properties. and of course, that, that was a time when nobody was loaning money to anybody. And um, I had to find a, a small local bank that, like you said, understood real estate and was willing to give me a chunk of cash and then and I still have a relationship with those bank and I've I've borrowed more money from them since uh but I was amazed at how many banks turned me down
1: oh of course well they're not presented people fear what they don't understand and they're not presented any incentive They're salaried employees what incentive do they have to work with you
0: yeah absolutely
1: the guy behind you in line has an 800 credit score, a W-2 job making six figures a year. He's a he's a dream loan. So why would they bother with you? <laughs>
0: right, right. All right. Give me the fifth and final step.
1: It's the the what I call the stabilization process. You know, you it's great to go out and acquire all these properties, but <laughs> people say you make your money when you buy. Well, you lose your money when you own. And because a lot of people they go out and acquire a property, they get lucky or, or they maybe on their first one or whatever, and now they're they a property manager. They're trying to do things themselves. They're trying to cut corners. It's that process that gets you to the finish line because buying or the the acquisition is just one piece of it. It's taking that acquisition and making it great. When you did that that prospectus, that pro forma to say, well, in two years, this thing's going to perform at X rate, you have to actually get it there. Okay, It's beyond moving beyond the spreadsheet. It's getting the right tenants in place, keeping on tap, ma- managing the managers. In other words, I don't self-manage anything because I realize it's not what I do best. I'm a guy that likes to be out working with people and, and I'm a, I like to close and things like that. I like to be in the game, in front of the camera, that type of thing. Managing, telling somebody that they're late on their rent is not my idea of a good time. Cleaning toilets won't do it, period. Getting these people in line, so when somebody does call, there is this, an established process that doesn't involve Tyler at all. Things just happen. When a tenant calls, they call one number. Or they in email a text message one place and that starts a chain of events to get their situation solved. What that does is reduces my vacancy loss to almost to the point of non-existency. It gives the tenant a better experience, makes me and my partners more money and everybody wins. Now, we talk about lenders. When you have a little nice little portfolio and you walk into that bank and say, here's what I've done. Here's where I when I bought them, they were performing at this per month. Notice I didn't say they're now worth X because we don't the value doesn't matter unless it's for sale, first of all, or you're gonna borrow money against it. I tell them, look, it was it was cash flowing a thousand dollars a month now. Now or then now it's cash flowing eighteen hundred dollars a month. Mm. Now the bank looks at me and goes, Well, you know, we've got two talk about little banks, we've got two that are not performing and we're about to foreclose on them. Right. And now I've got a source of leads right yeah. from my own lenders.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And you got to look for all that, many, many places out there to find. Well, Tyler, listen, this has been awesome, dude. I'm going to put all of Tyler's information on hybendigital.com backslash cashflow. hybendigital.com backslash cashflow cash flow i'm going to put a link to his website his coaching programs to his podcast the cash flow guys if you want to check that out and it'll all be there so tyler listen man this has been a blast best of luck to you in your future endeavors and uh hope to uh, uh meet you face to face in the near future
1: thanks pat i appreciate it
0: thank you for listening to real estate rock stars please be sure to leave us a five star review wherever you're listening All five-star reviews help us get better and better guests for your listening pleasure. And if you have a great review, I'll read it on the show. We're so proud of this show now with over a million downloads in 79 countries around the world. Also, don't forget to buy my book if you haven't already. Six Steps to Seven Figures, A Real Estate Agent's Guide to Building Wealth and Creating Your Destiny. With an intro by Gary Keller. Sold everywhere online books are sold. You can always go to pathyben.com and find out about all things Pat Hyben. And don't forget to follow me on social media. All you got to do is type in my name. I'm everywhere and easy to find. I hope to meet face to face someday. But in the meantime, let's meet on social media. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking.